1: Hey, thanks for clicking on the pod. Guy Haberman here in present day 2023 to take you back five years for a ham classic. Now, I hadn't listened to this Parag-Marate interview in a long time. June 11th, 2018 is when this interview posted, and I went back and listened to it today to make sure it was still relevant. What things did we talk about that would still apply today? And the answer is, I think, a lot. It's interesting to hear Parag's perspective on John Lynch, and Kyle Shanahan going into the 2018 season. This would have been after just one year. It was interesting to hear how they reached the decision to extend Jimmy Garoppolo. It wasn't just because they got him. He hints at some stuff that is worth going back to. He talks about the art of the deal, negotiating with agents, what it was like to negotiate with Richard Sherman. He talks about the game management chart and the game management mistake coaches make all the time, why he got a cease and desist letter from Tom Condon, Alex Smith's agent, during their rookie contract negotiation and more. Uh, it's insightful, and it's a great ham classic. You can skip ahead six minutes from now if you want to jump to the interview, or you can hear what we sounded like five years ago. Did we sound different? I think we sounded a little different setting up this interview with Parag. So here it is, ham classic, originally aired June eleventh, 2018. Here is Parag Marate with Haberman and Middlecoff. Middlecoff! hey Habes. All right, this is special. This is a special one. Who would have thought four years ago that uh, we'd be doing a podcast and our guest would be Parag Marate, the president of 49ers Enterprises and the executive vice president of football ops?
2: It's funny how things change because I remember, hell, guy, four years ago, let's even go three and three years, ago, we were Raider homers, Niner haters. That's right. I remember seeing that a lot. The good, ol', the good old, media, days, the good
1: old days, John. The good old days.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny how things change, but, you know, welcomed in the Niners building and uh, I mean, shit, one of the smarter guys in the NFL.
1: I think there's any question about it. uh, Definitely one of
2: the most unique, you know, NFL figures. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: We got to sit down with him a little over a week ago and uh, you're going to hear that conversation now. We went down to uh, Levi Stadium. You'll hear Parag a couple times uh, reference. He'll say you met, He's referencing somebody else in the room. It's Bob Lang, head of Niner PR, who was there hanging out with us. And uh, we did this interview in, inside Levi Stadium in, in and in an office after we watched um, Niner's OTA, sat around a table there. And it was pretty casual. Parag was holding the football the whole time, just a patting it in his hand like he's uh, in a 55-minute pocket, you know, just back there patting, patting, patting. He gave us a lot of time. It was great. We didn't feel rushed. And then he gave us a really good uh, after the podcast gave us a really good dinner recommendation too. Yes, and we powered down a lot of food. So uh, there's a lot of stuff here you'll hear. We're not going to talk about it it's before it happens. Powerful, happened,
2: but... smart people in the NFL seem to like Haberman and huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, don't be petty, John. Don't be petty.
1: So before, so we'll get to the, we'll play this here in a second. But what were some of the things going into it? Um, you know that you're that you're interested in asking him about because I think we we covered a lot of it.
2: Uh, you know, I I was interested in asking, even though I knew he was going to be uncomfortable with the questions of fleecing people in trades. Yeah, uh, you you and I and have talked a lot about right? how guys in the NFL in general are very sensitive. Uh, I've obviously been, spent a lot of time around Howie Roseman, just seen a lot of his public comments, and I've never really heard him say privately about fucking or screwing over, you know, someone that he's doing a deal with. But they're extra sensitive when the when the mic's on about just saying like, hey, and you know what? There is some validity to it. And I, I was listening. I, I sent Net, Matt Nagy a text. I was driving, hit some golf balls now. I mean, three or four weeks ago. And I was driving home and I flipped on. It was early in the morning and I flipped on, uh, uh mad dog radio. And it was their show before Chris Russo. And it was Danny Cannell hosted him and Danny are boys. They like played together in the AFL. Okay. So they had a rapport and Danny was asking him about Mitch Trubisky and he said who's the comp Matt and he's like honestly I, I thought this when he was coming out and I think we- you and I have talked about it but there are some similarities to Alex Smith accurate good athlete just nothing gonna wow you and he's like I-, I see a lot now working with him well if he turns out to be Alex Smith that by no means was a fleecing the Bears won the trade right get a friend get a franchise quarterback even if it's not Aaron Rodgers that's always worth a second and a third
1: yeah Yeah,
2: but but again, like that—that as we sit here right now, that's a big win for the Niners.
1: But I I do think there's all—I—I do buy what you're talking about, right? That there's this aspect to doing—if you want to have longevity, being a deal maker, you have to be able to do deals that people walk away happy from. Particularly when you're dealing with agents who you're going to negotiate with again.
2: And wouldn't you say that's kind of true in all of life? Unless they're Collins agents. What is a bad deal if I like the deal, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, but that's – like, we'll get into this. That's what you would – that's what Colin well, we Kaepernick's like agents
2: there, – There is value in any deal. That's what Colin Kaepernick's agents would say, right? Like, we liked the de- –
1: Colin liked the deal. It's like, well – see, and we knew he wouldn't really touch that, even though that was a fleecing. We did, we did ask him about that too, though. So, uh, anything else we should say before we get into this?
2: Uh, I, I, I just never would have saw this coming, you know, two years ago. And I, I do think he hit on this, and he'll hit on it in the talk. And to me, this really speaks to John Lynch. And I, I don't think, like anyone in the Bay Area, follow his career. I would have said, if Parag Marate is not even involved in football within a year, you know, or something, I would have bet on that. Instead, he's become like an integral figure in the whole operation. I, I The moment that tweet came that Lynch had been hired, I would have bet that Kyle and John would have forced him out. Instead, they've not only embraced him, he's like a partner in crime.
1: Well, I think it speaks to a few things. Uh, in addition to what you said about John Lynch really putting his money, John yeah, Lynch. is
2: is credit, obviously, too, because it's his show. I mean, he's the boss. Let's call it what it is, right?
1: Yeah, but I think John Lynch is the one kind of entrusted with making sure that the whole team is the word yeah. that managers love collaborative. It speaks to how good at his job Parag is, right? I think it also speaks to his relationship with Jed York and how much Jed trusts him, not just obviously with the football stuff, but with the business stuff. And it. It speaks to what you just said, Kyle and and John, together. All right, so without further ado. There's so many places we could start with with Parag Marate. Maybe we should start back at the beginning of Parag Marate and the 49ers, which is if the 49ers had never called Bain and Company, or was it Bain Capital? If they had never called to say we need some help with a draft project, would you be working in football
3: right now? Probably not. I may be at IMG or a sports agency or something like that. Um, or totally out of sports, maybe at Nike, or totally out of sports, yeah, but most definitely, I can't imagine how I'd be here. That's pretty crazy when you really think about it, how your career's (laughs) turned out. Yeah, Yeah. you know, everything's a series of chances and good fortune, and you always gotta, you want to set yourself up, Um, but a lot of it is right place at the right time, you know, the fact that I was a, I had a sports background when I was at Bain, Bain's not like a sports company, right, it's a management consulting firm, but because I love sports, I interned at IMG my three years when I was at Cal, so that made me the sports guy. So anytime Bain got a sports project, I was the kid that was put on the team, right? So, so it's a combination of a hell of a lot of good luck, um, but also like I'd, I'd done what I could to put myself in position, too.
2: I always wonder this. Are you, are you more likely when you wake up to watch CNBC
3: or like the NFL Network? Uh, definitely NFL Network. Um, you
2: got Peter Schrager.
3: Yeah, well, actually, but I probably neither because I don't really watch a whole lot of TV. Um, right. But like, I definitely will devour all my sports info uh, before I get any of my news. Yeah, but but do you think that
1: um, you know? I saw a quote from an article about you in 2005. It, it was Kirk, oh, R- Kirk Reynolds. At, Kirk Reynolds at the time said that the the worst place you could have a Stanford MBA is the NFL like that in in the sense that it doesn't get the respect that maybe it gets everywhere else but that was 13 years ago things have changed like you don't think in 2008 if you're still working at Bain you would have thought you know look at all these guys going to the NFL maybe I will work as an executive in sports
3: yeah i mean i'm sure stanford's probably not going to like me saying this but like a lot of times in pro sports like you wear your degree like the MBA or like the scarlet letters uh, that you wear around like it's not something that you that you talk about often cuz it's all about whether you can get the job done right it doesn't really matter whether you have one degree six degrees or no degrees it just matters if you can get the job done um i didn't go i didn't get a, an MBA because i thought it would help me move on and move on in the nfl or in pro sports I got it because – actually, I got it because I was already – that I would already applied before before Coach Walsh and Terry and the ga- gang asked me to come work for, for the Niners. So it's sort of something that was already in the works. Honestly, if it had come like three months earlier, I probably wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have done it.
2: You know, one thing that's pretty crazy is like the NFL, if you had to rank them, obviously baseball – with Billy and just the explosion of that, now that's that's what they want. And yeah. basketball's definitely transitioned. Yeah. I know you got a buddy, Sam Hinkie. We got to talk about it a, little, <laughs> a little later, but football's probably still the last, even though it's kind of come a long way. I mean, I work for a guy, Howie Roseman, yeah. that you know would you know is known more as a numbers guy, and yeah. they are in Philly, kind of like you guys out here, a very progressive organization. But it still feels like the NFL's definitely behind those other two sports, just in the way they look at it. Like like in, in baseball, you walk in with a Stanford NBA. I mean, you're running the organization by year two. In yeah. football,
3: you may never. Yeah. I mean, every sport's different. It's just so – I mean, football uh, is a complex game in that, you know, even the fact that the 11 guys that play defense are not the 11 guys that play offense and it's just – it's very complicated. There's a lot of uh, – there's a lot of different factors. It's a very nuanced game that everybody's scheme and strategy and how they play is so different. Um, And it's just the way the sports evolve, I guess, Um, you know, in the way that sure in baseball and in basketball, maybe there's more sort of non-traditional or non-playing executives on the team side. But like there's still a lot of opportunity in football. I mean, look, I grew up uh, and still do the salary cap. Right. And there's a lot of guys who do the salary cap and negotiate contracts aren't necessarily uh, guys who are, you know, old scouts or 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 former players.
1: Do you think it would translate? Like if I said, Parag, here's Major League Baseball's collective bargaining agreement or here's yeah. the NBA's, you could do the same thing you're doing in the NFL in another sport, in hockey, for leads, I yeah. mean, in, in, in the
3: EPL? Yeah, so I mean, like, it's the 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 details of the CBA and how the cap and how player contracts are, are working, uh, how they work, that's totally different. But a lot of the, like the actual principles of negotiating and, and the principles of putting a team together uh, where all you're trying to do, whatever sport it is, is you're trying to make the sum of the parts uh, greater than the individual pieces, right? And how you construct that team, um, that, that is applicable across any sport. Uh, and like the holy grail is actually building something for sustained success where your coach and your GM, first of all, are on the same page about what they're looking for. Um, that something that stands the test of time. And then that matches with the guy who's doing the contracts and the salaries, uh, to make sure that you sort of are setting it up for what you want. That's the Holy grail, right? The opposite is when you have a whole lot of transition year in and year out, um, at one of those key positions, uh, especially in a salary cap era. And you set up a team for a certain style of play with a certain head coach and you swap that head coach out. Um, And, okay, that's great. You can set up a new system, but you have a bunch of players you drafted for an old system. You have a bunch of guys you signed for an old system that you don't just get to drop and start from scratch. That happened with Chip, right? Yeah, I mean it happened three times over, right here in three years in a row, yeah. which makes it really hard um to try to build for sustained success. Fortunately, we've been in a good spot in that we've we've we have a lot of flexibility and that was one of the things I think that made it attractive to John and Kyle to come here is that despite a lot of that turnover, we actually had a lot of flexibility and a lot of a lot of opportunity for those two guys to build the team how they want to do it. And in fact I think we had We've had the most turnover in the league in the last two years, by far, in terms of how many players uh, are still or how many players we've 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 churned out.
2: So, on the last one, let's talk when you ended up hiring Kyle and then John. I I guess it kind of officially went the other route john was first and then kyle came same but time. yeah same, same time, time. when you went back on that i think 26 days on the road yeah you and jed looking yeah you had been through it two years in a row mm-hmm. things didn't quite go as planned yeah. mm-hmm. your specific list like cliff note version of what you were looking for in the guy on both sides because i remember with the gm you had yeah. and some other guys yeah. you had a pretty good feel and it looks like he's gonna be pretty good so you were on the right guys yeah your vision for what you wanted specifically, did you guys have a
3: really, a much better idea than the previous two years? Yeah, no, I wasn't, I, I wasn't it was different because
2: bulky was here. Too. Yeah. So you had two and roles. And I wasn't really part of
3: it. The, the previous year, I can't speak to that, but I can speak to what we were looking for. Uh, and I think before talking about each, either the individuals, uh, what in like the individual roles, I think there was a global goal. Uh, and that was to actually, uh, hire a team, uh, two guys that were part, that were truly partners, not like this GM on top of the head coach, not like this head coach on top of the GM, but two guys that both reported to the owner um, and and they came in together. And for all intents and purposes, hopefully it's 20 years from now, 25 years now, but they leave together too. right they're in the same part of their career trajectory within the team. Um, and that, so that was like the first and most important thing. Uh, also then what we were looking for is two guys who really complement each other well, right? And so what that meant – and that's why I corrected you and said we didn't really go one first. We went them together uh, because depending on the head coach candidate or depending on the GM candidate, it might have been a different subset. Uh, for the head coach, it might have been a different subset of ideal GMs. Uh, for head coach candidate two, it might have been a, a different subset because of the complementary piece, right? Uh, what uh, what Kyle and John have that is so – that. Makes them work so well. Besides the fact that they're so good at their respective jo- job in terms of the skills, is that they complement each other really well personality wise, in um, vision, and what they're looking for, and how they think about things, uh, and being very open, honest, and direct with each other, uh, with you guys, with the players. Uh, they sh- they they just that that is what works. Um, so that was the first kind of global thing we were looking to do, and that uh, you know we just wanted to make it where um, we had harmony where. And and nothing was better exemplified that, and I think you were actually in there where we were 0-9. I think it was after the Redskins game last year, and it was like post game. We were in Kyle's office, and Bob was there, and and John and Kyle and and Jed, and it was just like a relaxed. I mean, it, it sucked. We lost the game, uh, but it was a relaxed sort of confident, con- like um, confident sort of optimism about where we were going. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm just like, shoot, this is crazy because, you know, we're 0-9. We've we lost five games in a row in the last, by, by, you know, three points or less and down to the last play almost. And it feels different than a 13-3 and season thing. You
2: were the best 0-9 team ever. <laughs> I,
3: I, I, Legitimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. that was a consensus on Twitter. Everyone agreed. It was <laughs> and, uh, not your typical 0-9 team. Yeah. <laughs> So so anyway so that was like the global piece and then uh, you know with with uh, with the head coach just wanted uh, you, Jed's talked about it a lot you know he's his he was ideally looking for an offensive mind somebody who can help you know grow the offense and grow court and find a quarterback and all that um, so that was really important uh, and then on the GM side you know the GM jobs is so different you were just talking about Howie you know he's a good buddy of mine he's he's uh, he has a totally different style. Um, than the old road dog GM scout or scout GM that also can be really successful. But the job is so different. It's so much more – it's so much bigger now where scouting is just one piece of it. You're looking for somebody uh, who has vision but who most importantly is just a natural-born leader, somebody who can inspire others, somebody who – uh, is is um, accountable for what he knows and doesn't know, you know, and and that's like John to a T. John is the type of guy who's he's so he's so secure and confident. He knows what he's really good at, and he knows areas that are weaknesses of his, and he goes and finds you know people uh, that will help supplement or augment that, uh, and then you know, and he'll give them praise and he'll work with. And he's just that's what makes him really good. Is just he's just a natural born leader.
2: When John's name first came up through Kyle, mm-hmm. what was your guys' reaction? Because obviously it was, I know when we all found it, was out of left field. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been any farther out of left field, like 500 feet left field. Yeah. That was Schefter on a Sunday night, right? Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah. So when you first got the name and then obviously went talk talked to him, I mean, yeah. clear, Stanford guy, smart, highly respected, but still, I mean, that's a big jump. Yeah. You think it was
4: realistic or?
3: Uh, not at first, yeah. no, until until we Did got to know our, him. you want to talk to him or you're like, yeah, we have to do our due diligence? Yeah, no, totally, want to talk to him. Uh, and he's all he was always so uh, articulate uh, and insightful when he's when he was calling games, right? Um, so that was one thing that obviously piqued piqued interest. And then uh, and then just spending time with him, like he just he, he knows the stuff and he works at it. You know, there was that was something that we wanted to make sure that uh, that he had a vision for what he wanted to what he would how he wanted to set it up. We knew that. He already knows what it's supposed to look like, having been what hopefully should be in the Hall of Fame next year. But, like, we know that he knows what it should look like. But then how do you go about finding that? And, how, and is he committed to it? And does he want to, you know, see it through? And, like, those are the things that came across, like, flying colors. Uh, he was just – he was awesome. He Just being around – I mean, I don't know how much time you guys have spent with him. But, like, just being around him, it makes you want to be a better better version of yourself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we had him on the podcast. It was very enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and I
3: want to be like a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I <laughs> for just how
1: big he is. You know, you're yeah.
3: just like, well, that's why we both came up
1: hitting you. We both came away. Like, yeah, can't do that. Can't be that guy. You know, <laughs> do you see these videos? He's up running every morning. It's just yeah. like, but it's, it's but a lot.
3: He's off. That's real. That's yeah. authentic. That's who he, there's, there's no show in his game, right? That's right. exactly who he is.
1: Well, it's a level of humility that has, that I would guess needs is required to have a structure that is structured this way like we heard Robert Sala talking earlier about a player and he said you know we appreciate that and usually you just say the GM's name Mm -hmm. that brought him in he named four he had to name four people because there's so many people we don't quite always know plus you that's involved in this player acquisition process can that what does it take for that to sustain for four or five people to be the decision makers whatever depending on what the decision is
3: uh, it starts with the partnership with John and Kyle it starts with those guys those guys are the face of this football team you know outside of the players they 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 are the ones who kind of set the vision and and uh, the fact that the fact that not only neither of them are you know got to have the credit guys uh, but also that they share such a respect for each other um, and respect for each other's you know departments and groups and like that's that where that's where it comes from i mean i, I think that's absolutely sustainable um, you know, look, it was, like I said, when we were 09, it was, it was great. Um, I look forward to much better days ahead with, with, from wins and losses standpoint, it'll be the same. You know, right when
2: John and Kyle, that marriage came together, I think a lot of people, and we talked about what would be your role. Yeah. And then as it kind of materialized last year, and John gave you after free agency and how he worked with you, we're like, God, oh, it's going to work. He was like, he was yeah. empowering everyone. Yeah. And then obviously this year you guys were full speed ahead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've heard you kind of mention some of the negotiation war stories and felt like you and Don Yee with Jimmy went pretty well but then some free agent guys from Jarek McKinnon and how did that go in terms of we'll get into negotiating contracts here in a minute but just in terms of your communication with them like how do you know like what number when I can walk away we have to have this guy are you constantly going back and forth or you just kind of know I got to get this guy how does that work
3: yeah, I mean it's it's constant communication. The three of us are when it's when we're talking about player acquisition or or, or a contract negotiation. Like we are we are in lockstep on the same page. Um, Did
2: that take time to develop or? Yeah, I mean, it, it,
3: but it need well, yes, it 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 should, but it needed to happen pretty fast because these guys were hired in well of, uh, officially after the Super Bowl last year, right? And free agency was a month and a half away. Um, so that that took That's a long that took a long time, which is why also that um, you know it was going to be something that it was either going to it was going to be organic and had to work, uh, or if it wasn't, then then I was cool with that too. Meaning I had to make sure I earned their trust. It wasn't going to be something that Jed was just going to say, "All right, this this is the guy that you're going to work with." Like if they don't want to, if they if it didn't work and they didn't want it to work, I'm not going to force it. It's not it's it's got to be something that there's actually uh, a strong. Working relationship that comes and friendship that comes organically, not forced. Is that the most pressure you felt in a while? Like in ter- just in terms of your uh, job? I don't know, man. I've been through. I've been through so much, you know. So like, it's, I'm good at. Uh, it's it's the, a lot of the other stuff is just noise. If you believe in what you do, you're confident in what you do. As long as someone, as long as you believe someone's going to give you a fair shot at uh, trusting you. Then, then you, then you're good with it, and that's that's how I felt, I guess. So we were in just lockstep. I mean, every move I remember. You talked about McKinnon. I remember uh, as as uh, as competition for him heated up, and it ended up, you know, being at a at, at, uh, at a pretty good deal for him. Uh, it was constant talk about calling back with these guys and getting on, uh, getting off with the agents and getting on with John and Kyle, to make sure, all right, we we sure we want to go here. We sure we want to go here. Um, just, you know, a lot of back and forth. Sometimes it's different. Sometimes it's, Hey, if it's, if it's let us know when it's right. Um, it's a and number walk away. Yeah. And like, you know, but, but that number is also based on trust too. Cause like, they got to trust me that yeah. I'm the one setting that number. So helping them, helping them understand why. And then they decide if, you know, that, if that makes sense.
1: And so I would imagine while that, so Jarek McKinnon being the example of that, I think we heard you say was an 11, 11 PM to 2 AM, uh, That's back that. and forth conversation. Yeah. The same applies when it comes to uh, uh, trades, trade value, draft value. Um, is is there an element there where, I mean, you have done this, this thing you're doing for what? 15, 17, 18 years. Does, Does anybody know? Do you know whatever your updated draft value chart? The CBA, back your hand, you have to look at any of that stuff, or is this immediate, not when John says, is that value, you say yes. 78
3: and 115 is value for whatever,
1: 41. Yeah,
3: ballpark. I mean, ballpark, I know. I obviously want need to go and confirm and stuff like that. And the values, and it changes, right? So, for example, um, an underappreciated part about the draft chart and the points uh, that doesn't really get talked about much is that uh, everything changed quite a bit with the new CBA. Right, it didn't necessarily change the draft, but it changed the values because no longer is the guy getting picked number one the highest-paid player in the NFL history at his position. Right, with the with this whole slotted first round or the slotted draft pick contracts, totally changed the game for what picks are worth. Right, because sometimes in the old days it was actually a uh, a winner's curse to have the top pick in the draft. I remember when Jake Long was drafted number one, uh, whatever 2006 or whatever year that was. He or '04. He instantly became the highest-paid offensive lineman in, in NFL history. Did Bradford
2: get like um, sixty
3: million? Yeah, Bradford was yeah. sixty million, but like, but that one wasn't the highest ever. But, but like, so yeah. that was something that that uh, yeah, you got you, yeah, you got the number one pick, but then you're paying that. So, um, but then with the with the way with the new slotted contracts and sort of uh, the new rookie system that came in in what 2011, um, it actually totally changed the values because now. Um, you're not paying them as much and so that actually and we are in a world with a fixed salary hard salary cap right so every it's zero sum more dollars to the top draft pick means less dollars to your veteran free agents right um and vice versa so that's why it actually changes over time but like yeah it's ballpark i have it in my head
2: how often when you make a trade you think i just fleece them
3: uh be honest (laughs) with belichick you don't need to say name (laughs) listen i i uh I talk about this a lot uh, that, you know, that's like the worst deal that you can do um, because you're never going to, you're not going to last in this business if you're all you're looking to do is fleece people or all you're looking to do is take advantage. I mean, at the end of the day, the perfect deal, the ideal deal is one where both parties are, are right there on the cusp of being uncomfortably comfortable or comfortably uncomfortable, where like you're kind of thinking, well, shoot, could I have gotten a little bit more or should I have given up a little bit less or whatever that is? Um, I feel I'm happy to get this player, happy to give up that, um, but that's when you know it's probably a good deal, right? Um, and obviously some teams are. So, I mean, like we talked, John talked about this uh, last year, like with the with the Bears trade. I mean, both of us got what we wanted. They got the quarterback that they wanted, and you know we got we got the player and the picks that we wanted. Like both of us feel happy about it.
2: We were just talking about that at practice. I'm pretty good buddies with Matt Nagy, and, Aggie, and yeah. I heard him say last week that he thinks Trubisky's very Alex Smith like, and mm-hmm. if he turns into Alex Smith. They would have given up next year's. for, You know, yeah. there's no number. So at the time, because yeah. you guys got a lot of credit for that trade. Yeah. You know, it's known as a fleecing. But if Trubisky's their starter for the next ten years,
3: they'll look at it like a discount, right? Yeah, and I totally don't. I don't look at it that you way. I, I don't. I don't look at it as. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't. I don't want to do a deal that uh, that is so one sided because it's just not. It's you're not going to last in this business, um, and you know you want something that the, that stands the test of time. Whether it stands the test of time with other trades that happen, stands the test of time with other player contracts that happen, um, like that's what you want. And that's, you know, that's part of the building blocks for sustained success. All
1: right. Uh, Monday, October 30th, 2017, 5.17 p.m., Adam Schefter tweets that there's a Jimmy Garoppolo trade. Everyone's Bob Lang's life suddenly changes.
2: Why I have him right. Everyone's
1: me. life changes, right? <laughs> yeah. When when did you first get – when did the possibility of Jimmy Garoppolo becoming a 49er
3: enter your mind? What, 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 how far back are we talking? I mean, it was when we were from early in 17, even with, during the interview process, right? You're looking at what, all, what are your – how are you going to get the team better via finding a quarterback? So you're looking at draft. You're looking at free agency. You're looking at trades. So, I mean – his name was brought up in almost every one of the interviews as a possibility, right? So that was always that was always someone that, to talk about. Uh, I think John's. I think uh, John has talked about it quite a bit. That he actually made a couple efforts in March of 17 uh, to make a run at him that were quickly rebuffed. Uh, so, so between January and February, sure. We're, we're well, I'm sorry, January and March, we're talking about it. Uh, but then you sort of shut it. We got rebuffed, you know. You shut it down, uh, and then it came alive again in late October. And you get a call that says parag it's go time or what you know what, what is that moment where it comes back to life like um, yeah you know it was an it was an interesting day um, and we, we the three of us have spent a lot of time just going through all the possibilities in terms of you know what it would take for us uh, to to get him uh, to trade for him I mean, first the fact that it was a possibility right then it was like what are, what's the compensation got to be Uh, And there's a lot of good comps that are out there because quarterbacks have been traded uh, quite a bit, um, especially ones sort of in his situation. So uh, a lot of that day was spent just going through, like, what are all the permutations of things that we'd be willing to do to get him? I said at the time I would have had no problem because you guys were 0-9. Is that what you said? I think they had one. They were 0-8 at the time (laughs) we got him.
4: Butcherbox.com slash ham and another special deal. Free for a year. You get salmon, chicken breast,
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it was looking like you were getting the first, second, or third pick in yeah. this incredible quarterback draft. Yeah, I said I would have had no problem if Bill would have demanded the one to give the one. Would you have been okay with the one? I would imagine that. Did that ever come up? Because at the time, that first-round pick, it was looking like
3: yeah.
2: – I don't know if you had played the – was it the Giants yet? So that, that was a big swing game in the draft. I mean, that was a lot. We were talking about yeah. that a lot.
3: Yeah, I think the Giants game was right after we traded for him. It, it might have been, been. yeah. Yeah, um, but no, I mean, look – We had a lot of conversations with a lot of different permutations uh, inside, but at the end of the day, I think the trade that happened was good, was was fair for everybody. When I pay my rent, you can't crush Belichick. Yeah, you got to be very. I get it. I get it.
1: You know, I respect it. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I. Well, yeah. Well, anyway, um, the the other element there that's different, I would imagine, that's hard to say. Okay, this is what other guys have been traded for. Is that there was some thought we didn't know it at the time necessarily, but as it turned out, he was going to become the highest paid player. In the NFL, for yeah. a moment, until Matt yeah. Ryan got his money, which I would imagine affects things to yeah. some degree. Plus,
2: there was this other great white shark kind of swimming out there that was going to be a free agent, you know, that had yeah. some connections with the head coach. Kirk Cousins, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that's why I was going – I'm glad you said that, because, you know, even Kyle has kind of said, yeah. like, I didn't know necessarily what we were going to get when he was on the practice field. Like, I don't think Kyle viewed it like – you tell me if i'm wrong but from what he said it seems like he didn't do it it like
2: he
5: was the
1: one yeah go go give this guy 137 and a half million dollars it didn't seem like that so when inside the building did you guys start to think okay you know what this is this is the guy that we thought it was going to be or at least the guy that he's enough of the guy that we thought he would be that we're prepared to financially commit to him in this way
3: yeah i mean i'll start with it wasn't it wasn't day one right because he wasn't he hadn't gotten on the field uh we weren't sure you know how how just how good he was going to be it was some it was one of those things and john and kyle will talk about it like he he uh he earned their trust and the players trust the belief more importantly belief uh just through practice and then the games came right when he got on the field and that's where you know what 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 does john famously say the man was born to throw a football or whatever uh like that's that's where he kind of earned everyone's belief and then it was it was week by week it was slowly us crossing off the other options like for example as we kept winning the possibility of having a top three top four pick and getting a chance at one of these great quarterback draft play, uh, quarterbacks became those started you know checking off like that's not going to be an option anymore we're cool with that but that's not gonna be an option anymore uh then was you know then you had the the, the great white shark that you're going through that stuff that discussion um and then in the in, in my mind we'll I was see, always
1: kind of <laughs> <minus>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see <laughs>
3: Uh, and then in my mind it was just like uh, as uh, waiting for waiting for them to give me the go, waiting for them to uh, John and Kyle to give me the go that, that yeah this is this we we're re- we want to build with this guy, you know and um, and once that happened then it was off to the races. I personally. Um, I've just been spending a lot of time looking at and, – and just my experience, I've been spending a lot of time looking at the quarterbacks uh, and the quarterback market and not just where it's been but where I think it's going. And certainly it's it's already started and I think it's going to go even more. But just looking at that, like it was just more about as long as Jimmy wants to be a part of, part of this and we want it, let's get aggressive. Let's not go down the path – that could be really acrimonious that is going to start kicking in in late February or whenever that was about around the franchise tag. That just wasn't an ideal path. Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't going to help us get a win-win type deal. I've known Don forever. You know, we did, we did be wise last deals here at the Niners together. Wow. Um, so we, we, we go way back. Um, and it just was, it was something that it came together.
2: It was going to be one of
3: the most unique deals,
2: maybe in NFL history. Cause He'd only had seven starts. Yeah. It was clear he was so damn good. But again, the, you know, I mean, everything's based on comps, and there yeah. really is no comp. But yeah. last year, Derek, I think, got $70 million guaranteed. Was that a number that you kind of went off? You didn't know. He signed before Cousins, so you didn't have Cousins' number, even though we kind of had some idea where that was going to fall. How, yeah. Where'd the numbers start? Because I, I, I think you guys have talked. It wasn't, it wasn't that crazy. It wasn't. Much. It wasn't tension.
3: You know, yeah. it was a pretty easy deal. Yeah. Where, where'd the numbers start? Yeah. I mean, if you want to get specific, go ahead. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't say it wasn't easy. It just it, it just didn't get ugly. Right. It was uh, it was it, it was a lot. Of, it took a lot of time. more. And, uh, you know, one thing, for example, I hate doing it when it's a when it's a deal of that magnitude. I hate doing it on the phone. Um, so there's a lot of time that was just done. I just went down there, where Don came up. There's a lot of stuff in person, just because it's just easier. It's a it's a lot harder to say no to somebody in person, right? On the phone, you just hang up. Um, so so that was that was that was one thing. Um, and then it's the all it's the whole it's not just Car. It's a whole quarterback market looking at everybody, uh, er, all the guys. And I think Stafford was might have been after Car, um, yeah. and so you had that you had that one too. His 92, uh, like right? Remember, it was yeah. in a different world as Derek's. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but there's so many different structures to the deal, right? You've got your re- true guarantee. You've got your effective guarantee. You've got your average per year. You've got the number of years. you got how the deal structured, structured. Uh, you got all of that stuff uh, that was coming into it. But that's just like the past. You're also looking at where's the future going, right? Uh, you, had, you had cousins coming out. You've got... Uh, a handful of top quarterbacks that are nearing, you know, having one or two years left that are going to have to get taken care of because they're so important to their team. Matty, I just uh,
2: bought another Mercedes with that new uh, $100 million. Mercedes plant or
3: <laughs> car? <laughs> uh, so, so you got, I mean, so you're just looking, you're trying to fit it into all that. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those deals you you are going to be uncomfortably comfortable. And both, par- both parties left stuff on the table, yeah. right? Both parties got things they wanted. Both parties left stuff on the table.
1: With the quarterbacks, though, usually when you do that deal, it seems like from the outside, we view the biggest number of that deal as the. The number that they'll get. They'll eventually get there because of that position, generally speaking. But that wasn't the case. We're, we're, it's amazing. We're less than four years from the Collin contract, which was 126, I think, was the big number. Yeah. But it was really 13 million in guarantees. When you put yourself back at that time, I think it was June of 2014, it was just yesterday on the calendar, but it doesn't feel like just like yesterday. Years it ago. feels like so yeah. long ago.
3: It's crazy to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So how, at that time, like, were you willing to go? well beyond that when it came to guarantees or did you in your mind think look we believe no matter all the stuff that came later we don't know that stuff's going to happen but we're not willing to go well beyond what now is what a quarterback gets for one year
3: you're talking about back in 14 um yeah. it's just all about trade-offs right you're making trade-offs so at that time there's different body different different player different body work different sort of uh different team's uh, structure uh and how the team was built uh, but it's all trade-offs right so you know, on one end, you may be light in one, one area, like you mentioned, but that made up for it in what the average per year could have been if, uh, you know, if we play, we continue to play really well, right? So there's, it's just, it all comes down to trade-offs. And at the end of the day, most important position is the quarterback, right? And you either have one or you don't. And there's probably, there's definitely fewer than 32 teams uh, that think they have one, right? And so at the end of the day, it's, whether you're talking about 20 or 22 or 27 or 30, it's almost rounding error, right? Because it's just you either have one or you don't.
2: Well, obviously, when you're typically dealing with a player, you're talking with their agent. Mm-hmm. And so if you have to be negative, you're going through them. There's an area of separation. Yeah. You just did a deal where the guy was sitting right next to you, yeah. you know, a pretty famous guy. And that deal, it came Pretty quick, and I think you've gone on record in saying how impressed you were with Richard. Yeah. Clearly Stanford guy, another Stanford guy around here. What was that whole thing like? <laughs> did, did you have to say anything negative to Rich? Like, Richard, we ain't going there. Or anything that Richard had to take a step back? Or did he tell you? Because I, I think you've said how impressed you were with how many contracts that he yeah. had looked back
3: upon and yeah. he had spent time studying. Well, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, you definitely, it was definitely unique. Uh it's not in small, that, I just saw like, practice. Yeah, <laughs> he spent a lot of time. He spent a lot of time doing his homework, but you know, it was just it was it all it was. How do I describe it? It was never acrimonious. It was never sort of. It never got ugly. Um, you know, his fiance Ashley was there. John was there, uh, and it was just the four of us were always just having productive conversation. Uh, There's one time uh, where I where I, like you said earlier, it's all about comps, right? You're trying to you're trying to you're not just picking a number out of the sky. You got to find comps, and there happened to be uh, a player. Who uh, a player of Pro Bowl All Pro uh, caliber, who was a veteran like like Richard was, uh, who has switched teams and done a new deal, um, and the guy had made a lot of All Pros uh, All Pros and Pro Bowls, and so I I brought his name up, and Richard like immediately cut me off. And was like, don't even, don't even make that, don't even make that comparison. We're not even in the same stratosphere. <laughs> and I was like, oh man. And, uh, I did, and you're like, damn, yeah, I, I thought Deon yeah. Sanders was
2: pretty good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then, and then Lynch quickly diffused the situation. I can't remember what joke he had, but he had a good one. I told you not to bring <laughs> a brevis. <laughs> yes.
2: Richard was pretty serious.
3: <laughs> yeah, he was totally serious. Yeah, and I'm like, oh man. And this was like kind of early on. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, that was probably the, that was probably like the, the most tense it got. Uh, but it was totally – I mean he wanted – it was one of those things. If he wants to be here, we want him here and we're in person, right? So there's an example of one where if uh, he didn't appreciate that comparison, you hang up and you don't know if you're talking the next day, two days, or three days. But we were there, right, and with a goal. And, and it was actually John who was focused on making us get it done that uh, today or that day. Um, and and telling Richard the same, you know, because there's one point where he's like, well, maybe I got to go sleep on it, uh, and you know, it's looking good, but I got to go sleep on it, and let's do it in the morning. And and John's like, nope, let's 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 finish this. What do we need to do to close this out now? Wow, no, don't let them off the lot without the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's incredible. All right, let's talk about. I want to ask you about
1: uh, the game management chart. Yeah, does it exist? Is it the same one for every coach? How much input do you have on it? What can you tell us about a game management chart?
3: Well, let's not call it a chart, okay. right? It's more just uh, – there's just different things that you could – there's different uh, – how do I say it? There's different uh, black and white things about uh, about the chess part of the game uh, that you can apply in situations that don't have to do – that are not subjective, right? There's, like, there's some empirical things about, uh, you know, what – Maybe what the odds say here or there, or actually, more appropriately, when to use a timeout, for example. If you're trying to use timeouts, there are times where if you use one, you're completely wasting it, meaning it actually uh, either cost you time or saved you zero seconds, uh, meaning you just completely wasted it. Um, and it's all, I won't go into details, but it's all around the difference between a play clock uh, and the game clock, right? You got a 20, 40 second play clock and then the game clock, and then how that operates around the two minute warning. And you know, how many, you got, uh, you got how long a play is, you got the intervals between plays. And so there's basically, there's some rules that are, that, that are around there. Uh, and my, and, and in that, like I've never, I only, I'll, I'll present it to the head coaches uh, that we've had and if they are bought in on it and they, and if they want it, uh, then great. Then let's, let's, uh, let's coach them up on it and get them, get them to be able to apply some of those things and, and, uh, every coach has, has, has wanted to, to learn about it and, and use it. So it's not a chart? What does it look like? Well, yeah, it I mean, them? yeah, the form, the form can come out in, in, in the form of a chart, but that's not necessarily how it, each coach wanted to consume it, okay. if you know what I mean. Like sometimes maybe uh, they wanted a guy to just tell them. Sometimes right. they wanted a chart right in front of them. Uh, you know, some of, our, some of our coordinators who have gone on to become head coaches have taken it, the chart and, and still use it, uh, the one that we did uh, way back when. What Kyle, how does Kyle consume it? Uh, I think I'm not sure how much Kyle's talked about it, but he we have a guy. Oh yeah, he has talked about it. He talks about him, Cordell. He doesn't know his first name. Yeah. He Calls him Cordell. <laughs> That's always no right. right next. To him, That's right. That's right. So uh, yeah, so he he uh, relies on him, and it's more. It's like an extra piece. It's and especially with the black and whites, right? Yeah. The stuff that is that is just empirically uh, there that is not up to you know subjectivity.
2: I'd be fascinated, like in baseball, for example, like yeah. the A's are famous for it. Like in the eighth inning, if it's you know. Uh, this guy's up, you're best off using this reliever. It's you know it's pretty black and white. Or 2-1 count, look for this, because this in football, even if it's a two-minute warning, like what's the down and distance? What's the score of the game? Like how's your running game? Like there's so many variables in football that are – like how does a chart – or just when you do break stuff like that about game stuff, how do you factor in if you are making an algorithm or however you create it, all the variables? Because it feels like of the sports, by far, football has the most variables. Is that fair to say?
3: Yeah, it has, it has a ton. Um, you guys want me to give you one example yes. of one that's wasted?
2: <laughs> we love this. Okay.
3: Stuff. All right. So here's, here's one example. And it, and this mistake is made all the time. Uh, but, and this has nothing to do with, with, uh, you know, where you are on the field or just imagine you're trying to save, you're trying to save time. Uh, you're on, you're you're on defense and you're losing, right? And you want to save time. It's in the fourth quarter and you got uh one or two timeouts and they got a first down, right? Um, and if you, just, if you just play it out and, and that first down play ends at, let's say, with 2.42 left on the clock, right? Yeah. And, you, and, and you call and you, and you use your second timeout, right? Um, if you just play out how first, second, third down goes um, based on where the two-minute warning uh, is going to fall, that you will have effectively created like two seconds from that timeout, f- effectively wasted the timeout.
2: Before the two-minute warning.
3: Because you have fewer stoppages. Uh, then they have intervals between downs. Because, like, if you had a timeout left, all you got is your timeout and the two-minute warning, and they got three opportunities uh, to burn clock, right? So you want to make sure that you're burning as much clock as you can around when the two-minute warning is going to hit, right? Because, for example, in that scenario, you call it – at some point, they're going to be able to burn off 38 seconds of time. Um, And so – we don't have to walk through it, but if you go to, if you just use that example and like you go at home and you do what does second down, third down look like, uh, you'll see that if versus using it later, uh, you actually cost yourself time by using it. And that's like a that's just like a black and white.
1: The high school coaches can use that. Pop Warner coaches could be using yeah, the I'm same sure theories. I'm sure a lot do, but yeah. there
3: are some who don't. Yeah. Uh
1: were you doing the stuff that now everyone calls just the pro football focused Data, the grading of those individual plays that the statistics don't necessarily measure. Were you guys doing that stuff early on here? I think every club is doing
3: that. I mean, every, I mean, the uh, like the whole stats and analytics, like all those are those those phrases have become bad words. Uh, but everybody's doing some version of that, right? Every pro scouting staff, every college scouting staff, every quality control coach, you're doing, you're forming, you're forming your own grades that are based on film review. Uh, stats, production, everything. So yeah, every club is doing some version of it. I know
2: Howie talked about. I don't. What did he call it? Not the sabbatical, but he called his year away. He had a
1: word for it. <laughs>
2: it wasn't sabbatical. No, it was something. And he was year at
1: the other end of the hall. Yeah,
2: and he went to meet with you know from Popovich's group or RC's group to soccer teams. Yeah. Obviously, you've never had a sabbatical, but you're friends with a lot of people in other leagues. Yeah. How much time do you spend? You know, bouncing. I remember when I was at practice three or four years ago, and Sam Presti was here. You yeah. know, and guys to just yeah. around basketball or baseball, or obviously you're involved with soccer, yeah. to just throwing ideas or gaining ideas or just bouncing things off them or going to clinic or yeah. whatever.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just all around like uh, get a fre- get a different perspective and a fresh idea. I actually talked about this in a in an interview for. For, uh, for Leeds last week when they were asking me about how much would I be able to help on, like, the player player transfer market and the player compensation side. And my answer was just like, all right, I don't know. I, of course, I don't know how the market works there. I, I'm, I'm a total second grader when it comes to a knowledge of how salaries and player contracts work in, in in European soccer versus here. But what I do have is a lot of contract experience and and player compensation experience. And so I'm probably going to ask ten dumb questions, but my eleventh question might be something that someone hasn't thought about. Um, it be, but based on my background and experience, that's somewhat related. Uh, it might give us a fresh perspective. Um, and so I'm going to keep doing that because you know if I ask a hundred questions, then we might come up with ten that are that are that can get us to really good answers. So that's the same thing here around. Uh, I am and we are always looking for ways that we can get better. Uh, and why does it have to be limited to just what good, what good NFL teams do, right? Sport is still sport, um, and you're still trying to build a team and trying to build something that where some of the parts are greater than the individual pieces. You can take examples from basketball, from baseball, from hockey, from business, uh, from, from a lot of different places and try to apply it here. I don't think you'd like doing a Machado or
2: Bryce Harper type deal when they just said Scott Boras says, 400 million. That's, we $400 That's where ain't going under. there.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, like, what would happen in the NFL? And I don't know soccer that well either, so somebody can correct me on this. Maybe you can correct me on how this works. But if they just said, you know what? You can rent Phillip Rivers for $200 million from the Chargers. There's going to be a whatever they whatever they call it, a loan or whatever they call it. Yeah. And you could just buy – like, what would happen in the NFL if you could just borrow players or buy players
3: from other teams? During the season or in the
1: off season for massive sums the of money, the Cowboys
2: would do it a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. The hard sat the the fact that we have a fixed hard salary cap um, is like is is the one great equalizer in the NFL, right? Uh, in that every single dollar spent um, at some point in time is going to hit your salary cap. There's you can only credit card finance for so long, uh, you can only front load for so. Long. I mean, at some point every dollar is going to hit your cap. So. Um, so it's a totally different market. Uh, And like I talked about, and that's where makes it, what makes it really hard is when you have a lot of transition, uh, because you don't get the opportunity in the NFL to just press reset and say, all right, I got a, I got a wealthy owner, I got a brand new stadium and we're going to just go, let's just go discard what we had and start from scratch. We don't get to do that, you know? And so, you know, that we have examples that you guys can think about, uh, recently where, you know, we maybe signed an extension on a player from a previous regime, which wasn't too long ago, right? And then, you know, that player doesn't fit the system here. um, And, you know, we have to eat that that contract, at least the money that has been already paid. You don't get to just start over.
1: You just hope your cap guy hasn't signed a bunch of bad contracts. (laughs) See, I I
2: argued, I don't know when, I, I read this maybe a couple months ago, that they're still paying Tony Romo. They paid Tony Romo last year. He was dead cap on their, yeah. you know, on the Cowboy salary cap. Even though he's been retired, he's calling their games. Yeah. And I'm like, this is stupid. If you retire, and a lot of people on Twitter came back to me, actually, it was pretty fair. And I started thinking, I would imagine you fall right. that it probably is fair because they kept pushing it back so they could sign other people. That's right. That's, it's part of the deal. Like yeah. you, you eventually have to pay
3: the credit card. Every dollar spent <laughs> has to, you For know, you? has to, has to yeah, hit know, you? your cap. <laughs> yeah, every dollar. Well, and that's why. If you look over uh, – so you, know, you, you have the higher spending teams or teams with uh, – you, you always, people always talk about that. But if you look at any five- or six-year window of, of teams uh, or any period of time, you'll see that everybody spent pretty much the same you know, of, over a longer period of time. The teams will have a big blip and, a, and, and then a low point. But like over a, over a chunk of time, it all averages out because we have a fixed salary cap.
1: How are we doing on time? You good? Uh, yeah. You good? All right. Uh, negotiating, mm-hmm. sitting across the table or being on the phone, or whether it's a player like Richard or Jarek McKinnon's agent, or maybe what about if it's an agent you haven't worked with before? How did you?
2: Number one negotiator, USA Today. I know. So
1: that's <laughs> what we're, I mean, maybe we should, maybe there's a, a, a political post for you. Uh, okay. You could represent the country and try to calm some things. But what, how did you develop that skill?
3: How did I develop the skill? Um, I guess I've always been, I guess I've always been, um, I don't know, combative debate, uh, liking debate, liking um, making my points and standing up for them. Um, You know, sometimes, a lot of times it frustrates my wife, uh, but it just kind of, it's just sort of how I am, how I'm wired, I guess. Um, I love, you know, I love through, uh, I love finding like common ground and finding agreement through something that looks really hard to do. Like I love the competition of that. Um, and, and also, you know, I've always, I've always been a big believer in that it's not in a, any, in an ideal successful negotiation. It's not about what you got, uh, or what the numbers were. It's about what, how you feel about what you got. That is the most, to me, that is the most important thing. Um, and so I always try to, uh, it's, it's important to me how that I feel good about it. It's important to me to make sure that the agent and the player feel good about it, right? Um, there's been some, Famous examples in the past where maybe a player or, you know, that, that people will, will, might crush a deal. And I hate that uh, because that means that I failed at my job because it didn't stand the test of time where everybody felt good about it. Um, and that's, that's sort of like my guiding principle uh, a lot of times when I go into it. And it's now just – it's not like something that's, I'm actively thinking about, but it's more subconscious where it's not just about – it's not just about what you got. It's about what, how you feel about what you got.
1: What was your first negotiation?
3: i'll tell you my first one uh of uh, like that was a big deal um was 2005 alex smith number one pick contract i and i was i don't even know i was 24 years old or whatever i was um 27 years old and it was me and it was tom condon and uh, you know and and he he was like the the uh, you know number one agent in football i mean still still one of the best ones and you know, there's like a little intimidation. And uh, we, at that time we were, you know, we were seeing, you could negotiate, you could negotiate with a player uh, before, uh, if you only, if you're an M1 pick, you can negotiate a contract before the draft. So we actually had three of the guys in and I was trying to negotiate and see which of the deals, you know, we can get and which one was the, was, uh, which ones work the best. And actually... Uh, two of the three, we actually got a deal done with, and we could have uh, drafted that player uh, and had a deal done. And the one we didn't was Alex Smith. And I remember uh, Tom Tom flew out, uh, and you know I did like a PowerPoint, and I showed him uh, I showed him on the screen like here's here's all the prior number one picks. Here's Eli Manning from last year, and therefore here's where uh, here's where I think uh, Alex Alex Smith should be. And, like, in a total big-time move. And Tom had just flown out from Kansas City and a total big-time move. He was just like, all right, is that it? And I was like, yeah, so, you know, do you want to – should we start? Let's, get, let's get, get rolling. Let's roll up our sleeves. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm done. Uh, you think I can use your gym? And I was like, uh, okay. So he uses the gym, and he goes to the airport and takes off. And he goes home. I'm like, wow, okay, you just totally big time me. <laughs> uh, and then, keep going on that story – then uh, one thing I had I learned that uh, this is where I learned the lesson the hard way is if a player has an agent, you can't negotiate with them or do do anything with them. And I remember I was in the, like the lunch line during minicamp or something with Alex. I'm like, hey man, we're trying to we're we're, we're trying hard to get you signed. Something as as innocuous as that, right? And then Tom sent me a cease and desist letter uh, oh from, from IMG, oh. say like you know per section blah 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 of the CBA. Trying to when a nice. player, yeah, Spear. when a player has an agent, you cannot negotiate directly with them. I was like, man, this guy's pulling out all the stops. Cease and
2: desist, what your career? Like, <laughs> I mean, that had to be your yeah. heart had to drop when yeah. you saw that headline.
3: Yeah, it was Tom Condon. You know, no. it was a guy I read about. So that was my first. That was my first big deal.
2: Obviously now, I mean, you deal with seven figures and million-dollar contracts and all walks of life. But when the first time, Cal, Stanford, everything's in theory and doing these deals, but then you actually do whatever player, a million, you know, a seven-figure contract. I mean, are you pretty nervous when you're dealing with that much money? (laughs) I mean, you negotiate, like, the amount of money, or uh, how does that, like – Was there a transitional period where you're like, okay, I got this? Because now you probably do deals that are still hard or whatever, take time, but you're comfortable doing
3: them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm nervous about the amount. Uh, I'm just – I'm used to it. No, No, not really. You know what I was nervous about? It was I was nervous that – it's not as simple as just saying what the number is and you just write it on a little yellow pad. I was nervous about making sure that the contract uh, reflected everything that we wanted it to in the deal. There's so many – Nuances of a deal. I remember Alex Smith's contract was like 80 or 90 pages of words, words that are supposed to then ultimately represent the numbers and the dollars he gets, right? Paragraph five is the only thing that matters, right? (laughs) So that's that's where, and you know, you got the deals are complicated now. You got voids and buybacks and offsets and guarantees and option bonuses and roster bonuses and this and that. Uh, So all the bells and whistles to make sure that there wasn't any loophole. And you guys have seen, there's been some public examples of you know a club forgot to send in the void uh, notice and and i happened to elvis dumerville right with, yeah, the, right, with the broncos right. and ravens like stuff like that that's what probably i'm still nervous about is making sure that it all represents what we want it to
1: uh i want to go back to the draft for a second though so was aaron Rodgers one of the two players you would agree to a
3: contract <laughs> with i don't even remember if that was uh, if that's public or not um but, but yes, he was one of the guys in consideration. And, and, uh, and his agent at the time was Mike Sullivan, who's now the, the cap guy for the Broncos. So, uh, yeah, we had a good time.
1: Was that an easier deal to get? I mean, that obviously was an easier deal to get done. Was it a, like at that time, you know, watching Aaron fall was, I don't know if it was shocking to the league. You go through and you see there weren't yeah. that, the teams that needed quarterbacks, there weren't a ton of them. Yeah. But it was definitely difficult for him. When it came down to it, was that a very, when it came down to making that pick, how close was it in the draft room?
3: I don't remember. It was so long ago. I don't remember how close it I mean, it was obviously something that um, that uh, Mike Nolan and Scott and Mike McCarthy talked about for a long time uh, and a lot of days, and they did the private workouts with both those guys. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't remember how close it came, but it was definitely down to those two guys. Prague got
2: the deal done, John. Yeah, that's all that <laughs> matters. What about coaches' contracts? That's obviously changed a lot, and not just the head coach, but yeah. these assistants now make a lot of money. I mean, yeah. I, I would imagine you've seen – that skyrocket do you negotiate i know you deal with the head coach you, yeah. the assistants too and yeah. mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of them i'm
3: sure have agents how has that changed like just that's actually it, one it, thing right there that's changed quite a bit is back back even a decade ago assistant, assistant coaches um didn't have agents. So would you uh, take they like would just a linebacker coach to the woodshed in a in a negotiation? No, it's always win-win. Everyone's got to feel good. Um and so but now a lot of these guys including position coaches have agents. Any you quality know, that's, control guys that's... yet? I've heard of some
2: stories of like when they're making the transition from quality control to, you know, position, they you know these yeah. agents are trying to get them on the come up.
3: Yeah, a lot of times it's more like an agent helping out a young guy yeah. um and hoping that the guy continues to develop, but most of these guys do. They that's do hilarious. have a representation, yeah.
1: What about situations where a GM and a potential coach have the same agent? <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, the Indianapolis was an interesting case study yeah. this year. But you know, how do you navigate that? I don't know if you've been in that situation, but but does that create a a complication for a team?
3: Uh, I'm trying to think if we ha- if we had a situation like that. Um, I think we've had we've had one, but no, I don't I don't think it's necessarily. Complicating. I'll tell you what was what was unique and what interesting is is like this year, for example, um, one coach's agent had like five of the guys, five of the coaching candidates that were that were out interviewing. Um, so that makes it interesting because it's like that guy then may want to just place people in certain places and sets it up that way. But it hasn't really come. It hasn't really been a conflict.
1: All right. Last thing, John and I love pizza, and your family owned a round table pizza and a Mountain Mike's yeah. pizza, right? Yeah. And you were working from everything we've heard and read uh, at yeah. a very young age, and hiring people by the time you were 14. I mean, you know, you, well, whiz kid at 24, you're a whiz kid at 14. <laughs> a little different than middle class upbringing, other <laughs> Yeah, I was eating a lot of pizza. Uh, I couldn't make my own pizza, let alone run a pizza place. But give us your expertise uh, on pizza: the best kind, your favorite kind, best place, all that. Give us a pizza breakdown, if you could.
3: So the best way for me, so I'm a, I grew up eating pizza too. I mean, I ate ten, probably eight, nine pizzas a week. I ate a lot of pizza growing up. How did you, how do you look like this? I don't this? know. I'm not sure, but I ate a lot of pizza growing up. He's on the um, Robert
2: Sala workout. workout.
3: <laughs> so I'll tell you this, like the one thing I always like to do is order the same thing at every place because otherwise I can't compare, that's right? So like somebody who has like a thick crust or a stuffed crust or this and all the gimmicks, I just want like a plain pepperoni, thin crust pizza. Yeah. Um, and that's how I can compare pizza to pizza. Um, and then I think it all comes down to the uh, quality of the sauce. Sauce is key. Who's the best in the Bay Area? Oh man, that's clo- that's that's interesting. Um, there's a lot of good. Pe- I mean, Round Table is still an OG classic. Round <laughs> is really good. There's a place. There's a place right around the corner from me that just opened up uh, in Los Altos that I love. State of Mind Pizza. That place is it's a good family place. So we go there a lot.
2: You ever been to Tony's in North Beach? Yeah, I have.
3: Yeah, good pizza. Hey, really good yeah. pizza great pizza. All right, Parag, thank
1: you for the time. Yeah, of course. We appreciate it. Best of luck yeah, this season.
3: appreciate it. Any yeah, players
1: on the block that you can discuss on <laughs> the <way> out? <laughs> And Bob Lane cuts it off. <laughs> <laughs>